I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast for Yahoo Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Liu, speaking to you after Toronto Raptors lost on opening night. You don't say that very much. Uh, with a 113-99 to loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. Um... Yeah, not great, not great. The last time the Raptors lost on opening night was like seven years ago, uh, which is a long time. Um, and yeah, it's an unfamiliar feeling for sure. And honestly, it's weird. It's a weird feeling because the way the Raptors lost tonight, I think, um, you know, there's lots of things to point to. I think there were some disappointments there. I think there are things they can get better at. Uh, but the weird part is the Raptors were doing quite well throughout the first, uh, you know, I don't know, two and a half quarters. They were they were doing solid. I mean, look, they had a nine-point lead. And whatever, man, a nine-point lead is a nine-point lead. It's, it, you know, it's not like you're going to hang your hat on a nine-point lead uh, in the NBA in the third quarter, right? But at the same time, I'm just saying the flow of the game, the Raptors were doing well. They are making the right plays. They were, um, you know, they were... I thought defensively they had a better game plan for what they were doing than what the Pelicans were doing. Uh, they looked a little bit more experienced. And I really had no complaints. It looked like the Raptors. And, and quite frankly, the Raptors should have had a double-digit lead coming out of halftime. Uh, but they let uh, Redick get open for three a few times too many. And, and that was a constant three throughout the game. I mean, I can't believe this man had 23 points. Although I can because, you know, um, some of the guys guarding him were not up to task. Uh, but, um, you know... I, the Raptors in that third quarter looked like they were going to put their foot on the gas pedal, you know, uh, build a double-digit advantage, and just sort of just keep that. Defensively, I thought they were sound. But what happened was, okay, so one, three-point shooting. The Pelicans made, like, a stretch of, like, nine of ten threes. At one point, the Raptors were just 0 for 8, 0 for 9 into that same stretch. So that's going to swing a game, absolutely, when you miss that many threes, while the other team makes a lot of threes. You know, you could chalk some of it up to bad defense. You could chalk some of it up to Stan Van Gundy making some halftime adjustments um, after seeing what the Raptors did in the first half. The Raptors had a lot of success in the first half. The two guys you want to take care of on the Pelicans are Brandon Ingram, and you want to make sure you keep uh, a lid on Zion Williamson. Uh, the way they did that was, you know, classic Nick Nurse fashion. Um, they really aggressively trapped Ingram um, out top in, uh, above the three-point line. Uh, and force him to pass the ball, and then on the other end, uh, for for Zion, they you know they tried to feed him in the post a lot. The, the Pelicans and the Raptors had OJ Anobi on him, and also they had Fred VanVleet digging in a lot, uh, hard post doubles that again either force Zion to give up the ball uh, or play against two, which you know is never good. Uh, so you know that was the game plan. I think the Pelicans kind of adjust a little bit. Uh, you know, I think they, because of how much pressure the Raptors are sending to the ball when those two Pelican stars had it, uh, that led to uh, some pretty obvious adjustments in terms of where the Pelicans were, in terms of making extra passes, making early passes. You know, when you look at Brandon Ingram having um, 11 assists, that's got to be close to a career high for him. 
And you know, he was able to solve the defense in addition to scoring himself. I mean, he was he was quite good today. Best player on the floor. Um But yeah, that three point shooting stretch was just wild. And honestly, there were, I mean, there were some there were some three point shooting variants that went into that. Um, I'm not saying the Raptors played excellent defense. Don't say I I don't think so. In the second half, the Raptors defense was not good, especially in that third quarter where the Raptors lost thirty eight to twenty two. However, that does include shots like Brandon Ingram hitting two super contested jumpers. One where I'm pretty sure Norm fouled him, and then you know uh, Ingram kind of flailed his arms to try to draw the contact. Still made the shot. No call came. That's a very difficult shot. Another one where Pascal stretched up all the way on Ingram, and you know Ingram's obviously very long, but Pascal is also very very long. That's a heavily contested three that he made. You know, Eric Bledsoe, it was part of the game plan to leave Bledsoe a lot to help. Obviously, the Raptors knew that from the 2019 playoffs where, you know, that strategy proved wonderful against the Bucks when the Raptors swept them. Uh, however, Bledsoe today, 4 of 8 from 3. And honestly, when the game plan specifically designs for leaving Bledsoe open and letting him shoot with this light contest... Uh, and he's making them, that's where it really hurts because that actually breaks your back because then you have to change what you're doing. Bledsoe uh, you know, hit four threes today, four of eight. Uh, every single one of them felt like you know a 10-pointer. And then like the worst part about it was Lonzo Ball had a step-back three in transition, which, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, man. That's, that's uh, a little bit unbelievable, quite honestly. But you know, that stretch there, that, that three-point training stretch, really got the Pelicans to, you know, A, erase the Raptors' nine-point lead, and then to take their own lead. Now, the thing is, it's not like the Raptors are completely out of the game, right? As we knew from last year, the Raptors were never out of any game. They made a lot of comebacks, they had a lot of poise, and, you know, at, at a certain point, the Raptors are like, all right, enough is enough, and then they make their run, and they make their push. That just didn't happen today for the Raptors. Um, you know, the Raptors, what, were down... Nine points to start the fourth quarter. So it's manageable, right? The Raptors cut that down to about five. And, you know, it's a five-point... It's a five-point um, it's a, it's, it's five disadvantage with, um, you know, ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's a very manageable game. If you're the better team, you should come out and get that. The thing is, I thought the Raptors just kind of played sloppily. Like, I didn't think they played with cohesion. I didn't play, think they played with a lot of trust. Um, you know, and, and there were a lot of instances where the Raptors were just trying to like single-handedly shoot themselves out of the stretch. Anytime anybody made a three, which was rare, but anytime anyone made a three, the next person, that, that person was jacking up the next shot. Um, and the, the flow of the offense wasn't quite there. Um, you know, and, and there were some signs of like visible frustration as well. You know, when you had, um, Kyle Larry come into the, you know, they showed him on the bench and he, and he slapped a chair, you know, they, they formed that little huddle. Um, and, and on the on the court with the chairs and everything like that, and Kyle Lowry just slapped the chair, and you know you could tell he was frustrated. Um, you know this is a frustrating game. I totally understand where he's coming from. Um, you know, there's another instance where the Raptors are trying to inbound the ball. I forget if Kyle was the inbounder, although they probably was considering he usually inbounds. And now that Mark's not here, Kyle's gonna have to inbound even more. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, like he was trying to inbound. Pascal was got post position. You know. Um, he didn't fully have his man sealed, and eventually, um, you know, the play w- went on for too long. The pass still went to Pascal, and it became a turnover. I saw Kyle being visibly frustrated there, too. And it, he checked out of the game a little bit earlier, although he played 39 minutes. So, you know, 
maybe he just checked out because, you know, you, you shouldn't be playing Kyle 39 minutes, at least on day one. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there were just points of frustration. I think defensively, too, like, the cohesion just wasn't there. Like, they, they kept making mistakes. Kyle was not, you know, not entirely guiltless there, too. I mean, at one point he left J.J. Redick to help on a drive by Brandon Ingram where Brandon was pretty bottled up. I mean, woo, I mean, if Brandon Ingram's driving, yeah, it's a, it's a problem, but it's not that big of a problem that you need to leave J.J. Redick one pass away. You should never leave J.J. Redick one pass away because that's a way bigger problem than whatever else you got going on. Unless it's like Zion dunking the ball, don't leave J.J., man. And that happened in another instance where Norm helped off J.J. Redick in the corner and J.J. Redick hit the three, kicked his leg out, got the and one as well. Four-point play, that was tough. And, you know, that was bad. You know, when you look at some of the play, you know, in terms of the way the Raptors were covering, first half, they had a really good game plan. Second half, I didn't think they adjusted that well on the fly um, to what the Pelicans were doing. And, you know, you had back-to-back plays where, one, Brandon Ingram comes off the pick and roll, Aaron Baines is dropping back, and Ingram hits the mid-range shot, okay? Ingram was hitting that mid-range shot throughout the game. And that's, you know, a cause for concern, sure. But the next play... Baines then, this time, changes his approach, no longer back him into the paint, comes out to the perimeter instead, and, you know, that completely leaves uh, Steven Adams wide open on the roll. Brandon Ingram being, like, seven feet tall, essentially, can just pass over. I mean, Ingram's taller than Baines to start with. Uh, Gets the pass through to Steven Adams. Steven Adams rolls uncontested in for a dunk. So, it it was not... um, there's not a lot of cohesiveness. You're not going to make a comeback without any cohesiveness. You're not going to make a comeback with a lot of, without a lot of trust. And, and that's where the Raptors were today. I mean, you expected them to make a comeback. To be honest, it seemed like they had weathered the, thorn, the storm. The, the Pelicans bench was coming in. The Raptors bench, they were playing well in the first half. Maybe they can do something. They could not. And the Raptors just, you know, played from behind for a lot of that, uh, you know, third quarter. A lot of that fourth quarter. And that was it. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was a shitty way to start the season. It really is. Because... Uh, a, it's frustrating to lose um, when you had control of the game, but it's also it, it, it just sucks because it does reveal some actual flaws with the Raptors. It doesn't feel like it was last year, where of course the Raptors played the Pelicans, and the Pelicans gave the Raptors a, a really great game last year on opening night. As you remember on ring night, the Raptors had to go to overtime. You know they had to hit some big threes to hit the overtime. Uh, Pascal had an outrageous game. Fred had an outrageous game, and the Raptors were able to win. That wasn't an easy win by any means, but um, I think what we saw last season was the Raptors were just able to essentially roll the ball out and get going. They hit the ground running with a great start. The Raptors have consistently done that over the years. That's why this is the first time they've lost on opening night in almost a decade. Um, And whether it's the circumstances, whether it's the fact that they're playing temporarily in Tampa, whether it's the fact that they've lost two pieces in uh, Serge and Mark, uh, whether it's the fact that, you know, you, you know, guys were not necessarily like Kyle, for example, didn't play the two, first two preseason games. Um, or, you know, the fact that Norm Powell apparently had some sort of COVID scare. He doesn't have COVID. Uh, he's t- tested negatively played today. But the fact that that scare kept him out of practice in two days. Or the fact that it's just a new group. I'm not totally sure, but it, they did not look as smooth as you would expect from the Raptors earlier in the season. Um, and that continuity just doesn't feel quite there, which is a little bit odd because they are returning a lot of players, but you know, um, some of them just weren't performing, uh, but I, I thought, you know, individually there were some decent performances. I thought Kyle in the first half was excellent. 
Second half, not so much. Forcing a lot of shots, driving into traffic. I mean, I don't know what you're expecting driving into Steven Adams, but you're just going to get knocked on your ass, and you're going to miss the shot because the guy's, like, you know, uh, a giant. Um, you know, I thought OG forces offense at times. You know, he missed some open threes. Um, but I thought defensively he did really well against um, Zion. Um, you know, that's Zion had 15 points on 7 and 9 shootings. So you might say, well, that's that's okay. That's not bad. And it's not bad, but I thought OG played one well throughout the course of the game. You're never going to stop Zion entirely. He's, like, ridiculously strong and athletic. Um, the best analogy I saw for Zion was someone described him as a fridge filled with dynamite. I remember reading this back when he was, like, his first year with Duke. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly how he plays. But, you know, Zion had six turnovers. I thought OG played him decently. It's a very physical battle for sure. And, you know, there was some help there from the Raptors' guards, but... Uh, for the most part, you know, I thought OG did well on Zion defensively. Missed some shots. Forced some shots, which is the part where, you know, I think it's a nice... You got to keep OG in mind because if he only does the dirty work and the grunt work defensively, then that's going to wear on you. I think, you know, you you do need to feed OG occasionally. Now, he didn't have the legs to make the shots today. That's okay. But um, it's, it's, it's very hard for OG, I think, to only stick to that role. I mean, realistically, that is his role, and that's why I was always skeptical of like an OG like breakout season in terms of like a huge jump in the statistics. I don't, I don't really see a different uh, pecking order in terms of who's going to get the shots. Let alone the skills and everything like that. Forget all that. Just like the pecking order was going to stay the same, uh, and OG was still going to be the fourth option in the starting five. Um, but. You know, it's still, I mean, you know, you look, if you're battling Zion all the time, maybe you get a couple of looks offensively to feel good. OG did come on stronger in the second half, for sure. Uh, it felt like he didn't get a single look in the first half. Um, second half, he got a few more looks. So he missed some wide open threes, but he also ran the floor well, cut well, filled in the lane, uh, you know, got a reverse dunk to drop. All these things are good. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You know, OG played his role. I think it's, it's it's okay. Pascal, obviously, is a big focus on Pascal. First half was really, really good. Game overall was fine. Like, it was good. Like, 26-6 and six is pretty good. A six assist is very promising to me. I think the Pelicans definitely sent a lot of attention on him. To be honest, what I'm seeing these days is that every single team is overplaying Pascal. Um, whether that was... I mean, I mean it's, it's only been, like, uh, three preseason games and literally day one, but... Uh, the, the Hornets overplayed Pascal. The Heat definitely overplayed Pascal. The Pelicans overplayed Pascal. They're just sending extra bodies at him a lot. And so he's going to have to hit a lot of jumpers. Um, they're really going to f- force him away from the paint. And you would want to see his paint efficiency go up again. There were some instances where he was able to use his length, you know, in transition, for example. Uh, you know, whether he was coming off cuts. But for the most part, defenses are completely locked into Pascal. It's hard for him to get into the paint. Um... And he's going to have to do other things. And one of the other things he's going to be doing is assisting because teams are always going to be loading up on Pascal. So if you can find the open man, that's going to be very important. I thought Pascal ran the break well a few times leading the break. He's always been a very good transition player, so I'm not worried about that. That's normal. But even in the half court, uh, one who's getting doubled, making quick passes, getting guys open, the six threes is, or six assists is, is it's a number that. I would expect to see closer to the norm. I don't know if I expect Pascal to average six assists right away, like doubling his assists, but um, I expect the assist number to climb, and he was good on that front. He hit his threes, which is good. Uh, it's just a bread and butter of course, well, what Pascal, what makes Pascal so great as a player is, well, offensively at least, is the fact that 
he can get into the paint. And right now, defenses are completely locking him out of the paint. So um, he's going to either have to hit a ton of more threes or really, really start to rack up the assists to really change that equation. But for the most part, I thought he, he played well. Um, only one or two shots I thought he forced. Um, you know, he, there was one where he tried to drive a, on Steven Adams. Again, you know, if Steven Adams is in position and he's at the basket, you better be dunking on this man because otherwise, or, or kicking him in the balls like Draymond. Because otherwise, I, I don't know what you're going to do. He's probably going to stop you. Uh, he's huge. Um, you know, Fred Fred had a little bit of an off night, some, some foul trouble. I thought his third foul was really, really unfortunate. Uh, Ingram pushed off on a drive, and for some reason it was called on Van Vliet. So that A sent Van Vliet to the bench early in the first half. Um, that Kyle had just subbed out of the game. Fred was coming in, uh, and that foul quickly reversed that. Kyle had to come back into the game. Fred had to come out. That broke his momentum. He missed some open threes as well. You know, got his layup blocked by uh, by Lonzo. But, you know, Fred was... He wasn't as impactful as you normally would like. He had some nice moments where he got into passing lanes. Three steals, you know, was nice. But didn't make the impact that you want from Fred. Um, to be honest, just didn't have the, the momentum that you would normally expect from him. Uh, and the steadiness. The, the, you know, he the foul trouble really hurt him there. Um, but in terms of some of the positives, I thought, you know, A, Baines... It's not a great game from Baines, I wouldn't say, but he did have 11 points and 9, uh, nine rebounds. It was a good matchup for him, uh, sort of a similarly style of player in Steven Adams. Adams is a better player for sure, but uh, Baines can do some stuff too, especially with the three-point shooting. Uh, but Baines, I thought, was good. Defensively, you know, he's not going to anchor your defense. Like He's not going to tie everything together and erase tons of mistakes. But he did play the scheme quite well in the first half. Second half, not as well. But to be honest, the Raptors kind of got rattled and didn't get their defense sorted out at all. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, offensively, it was intriguing to see this game from Baines. I think, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we know he can do, he did. Uh, you know, he had a little push shot along the baseline, which was kind of cool. It was like, I don't know, like a 10-foot push shot. Didn't know necessarily he had that in his game, him playing in the dunker spot. Um, I'm still maintaining what I thought early, what I've said a few times already in the, in the, in the three preseason games is that I'm a little surprised Baines is a involved so much on the on ball screens. I understand Baines is a very good screener, but he keeps screening and then rolling into the paint and that just congests the paint even more. It would create opportunities for guys to shoot and score, but once there's not that separation to pull up for guys like Fred or Kyle, then Bain should, instead of trying to roll into the paint and, and clear out a lane and seal a guy or whatever, and he's good at doing that. All, you know, pretty much all the Celtics bigs, who have, or at least he's not a Celtic big anymore, but he was former Celtics bigs. You know, a lot of those guys have that in their system. But at the same time, pop out to the perimeter. Pop out to the perimeter. The, the, the spacing for the Raptors is just poor. There's a lot of congestion. And, you know... Um, that's going to continue happening to the Raptors. And, and I, I would like Baines to come out to the three-point line a little bit more. One thing, it's a little bit... I'm keep trying to keep my eye on it. It's a little early in the season to, to really critique too much. But Fred and Baines seem to have absolutely zero chemistry whatsoever. Takes Fred... A, you know, I would say it naturally takes Fred a little bit of time to build chemistry with a guy. Um, you know, for a while, Fred and Serge didn't have good chemistry. Uh, and then last season, it finally kind of clicked for the two of them and they played well together. But... It did take some time. You know, I think 18-19 that season, Fred and Serge didn't really click at, at all off the bench. 
Um, but Fred and Baines so far, I've not seen anything promising in terms of the two of them involved in the same play um, just about yet. Uh, and it was interesting to me that the Raptors started using Pascal as the screener for Fred while Baines kind of lingered in the, in the, in the dunker spot or on the perimeter, uh, more so in the second half. Um, I mean, I always think Fred and Kyle or Fred and Pascal play well together. I think they should play more two man game regardless. Baines with the three point shot can be just a spacer. He doesn't necessarily have to always screen, but, uh, it is kind of interesting because it is a style change. Mark never rolled to the paint. He was always screening and then staying at the three-point line. So that pulled the center away. That helped the Raptors get a little bit more to the paint. Baines is obviously known for his screen setting and his paint play. So, you know, that's disappointing. But uh, and so, that, so that's natural for him to, to be doing what he's doing. But I think that's an adjustment the Raptors have to make in general. It's just, you know, clear the lane. Because, like, again, man, the Raptors just aren't really going to be able to get to the, the, the paint that much. Like today, they shot 46 threes. And only had 12 free throw attempts. That's quite poor. Uh, you, you just don't want to see that ratio. As much as a three-point shot is valued, and I'm literally telling Baines to go to the three, so I'm not trying to contradict myself. But I do think that if Baines can pull a center out of the of the paint, which is what he's supposed to be bringing as a three-point shooting center, then there will be more opportunities for guys to attack the paint. And right now, uh, I don't think that's kind of defeating the purpose a little bit. Uh, but I, I generally actually liked what I saw from Baines. He took a charge, you know, was physical on the defensive rebounds, uh, you know, had made sev- several extra efforts that sort of tipped out in one possession for the Raptors. So, you know, it was solid, and, and he is just a solid presence defensively um, around the basket. The second unit I was actually really intrigued by, um, Norm was bad. His decision-making was bad. This was an old Norm performance, not a last year's Norm performance. Uh, I mean, he hasn't looked good at all in any of the preseason games, so I'm not necessarily surprised that he was poor today, but yeah, it, it was bad. Um, you know, yes, he missed some open threes, but, um, which I don't know, I guess you expect him to make because last year he was a knockdown shooter, but, uh, it was his decision making that was kind of poor, you know, you know, one play that really stands out, Norm and Fred were working a little two-man game, you know, Fred had created this, uh, driving lane, and dish it out to Norm, and Fred had relocated for the three, was wide open, right behind Norm, Norm, you know, has the blinders on, throws up a, I don't know, man, like, along the baseline, a little flip shot, contested, didn't go, and, you know, like, it's just, decision-making was poor with Norm, I do wonder how the loss of Gasol will affect Norm, I feel like the two of them got pretty good chemistry, um, and, and, and yeah, Norm has just not been good. Uh, in preseason or today, hopefully it turns it around because he's actually going to be a pretty important piece because the Raptors are going to be looking for him. He's he's pretty much the he's not the first option, but he is one of the primary offensive options in the second unit. And if he struggles, then the whole unit's going to struggle. He needs to make better decisions with the ball. Um, you know, he got fouled. Yeah, okay, a lot of those are transition runouts, and that's good. I mean, Norman's good at transition, and and those are important. He had eight free throw attempts. The whole Raptors had twelve. So that is important. I'm not going to knock that. But at the same time, the, over the flow of the game, especially in a half-court setting, offensively, Norm has to be better. Especially because defensively, Norm is just not good. Um, he can well, Last year, I thought he approached average, which was okay. Uh, you know, He got decent at on-the-ball defense, which was nice to see. Off-the-ball defense in terms of rotating and everything like that. I, I would never say Norm has been a standout there. 
but yeah, Norma's poor today defensively, man. Um, one of the reasons JJ went off for 23. Although, honestly, you know, part of JJ going off for 23 was also he was guarded by Matt Thomas, who, you know, we would like to be him to be mini uh, JJ. You know, um, Matt talked about, yeah, he got into a workout with JJ uh, in New York uh, during the offseason. Um, you know, they worked out together for about a week. You know, Matt wouldn't necessarily say what they specifically worked out on, but, you know, Matt was okay. You know, nine points, four assists, two steals, three of six from three, or three of six from the field, three of five from three, missed a mid-range shot. Uh, you know, that, that's solid production uh, for sure. But I think, honestly, you know, in terms of the skill set and everything like that, what, what A, Reddick is able to... Reddick just has, like, this, like, asshole gene in him, man. Like, he really loves to, like, hit shots, preen. He has this, like, villainous quality. I think, obviously, being a super hated player at Duke helped with that. Don't know if Matt has that kind of aggression or even venom in him. Um, And I'm not saying that necessarily that's, like, a huge skill. But if you're going to be a scorer, you do have to kind of have that kind of confidence. It's a night and day in terms of the confidence that Reddick has, even against Thomas. Who I, I think Thomas is like low key. If you listen to his interviews closely and what he says, he is a little bit cocky himself. But it's it's, it's very very different levels, I think. Um, and but I mean honestly, Matt showed some promising signs today. You know, he beat Reddick a couple times, uh, which was nice. Uh, we'll see if that lands him on old man in the three. But uh, but yeah, Matt was fine. Um, you know, I, I, the the four assists from Matt was promising. Again, he's been pretty good decision maker with the ball in his hands and pretty good at moving without the ball. So um, I'm pretty happy with the fact that Matt ended up winning the eighth uh, spot in the rotation. Uh, you know, if you look at pretty much the way Nick wanted to set his team up, or at least what he said in preseason, he wanted someone to come out and win that eighth man spot. And if you look at the way the minutes were distributed today, the three guys off the bench, Norm, Matt Thomas, Chris Boucher, that's it. Uh, Bembry came in for some defensive duties, but played six minutes ultimately, and some of that was garbage time. So um, that's your eighth man, and, and Matt has become that eighth man. And it's it's really just a matter of bringing this kind of effort consistently. Like you know, I I don't know if it's unreasonable to ask for nine points and four assists with fifty uh, percent shooting off the bench, but I'm you know also expecting that. I don't know, man. I have high expectations, and that's not even that high of an expectation, really. Like, nine points, four assists, like, as a backup guard, you know, standard, right? So, I'm hoping to see this as a norm for for Matt, obviously, with a couple games where he goes off. And then, honestly, the guy I was most impressed with off the bench is Chris Boucher, man. Chris uh, struggled in preseason, definitely. I was planning to write about Chris. You know, I I really thought that this was going to be a big year for him. He obviously had the biggest change in role from last year. No surge. Uh, no mark. Boucher gets a new contract. He's given the spot as the backup center. And in preseason, he was just making so many mistakes. You know, it was kind of the same old stuff. And you're like, damn. I mean, like, don't blow this chance, Chris. Today, he, this was an example of Chris seizing the opportunity. Um, 12 points, 5 rebounds, 2 blocks, 6 of 8 shooting from the field. In 15 minutes, highly productive. And I thought he played really well. That he had a good matchup against um, the Pelicans bench guys, whether that was you know Nicola Mealy or whether it was Jackson Hayes. You know uh, Boucher plays well against those types. Those guys don't play with any physicality. Hayes is a guy who can catch lobs, but you know Boucher is stronger than him, so that's that's actually a rarity. Uh, and then Mealy is just a guy who shoots threes, but you know I mean yeah he's he's like you know uh, he's he's like a Matt Bonner type. Um, 
uh, you know, and and Boucher played well. Uh, and I what was really surprising to me was Boucher playing in that short roll situation where uh, instead of rolling hard to the basket, which is what Boucher is known for, obviously catching lobs, finishing, uh, drawing fouls, um, the Pelicans were sagged back in the paint. So Boucher made a lot of smart plays by not rolling all the way into the paint, but stopping short around the elbow area and making a play. You know, he hit, uh, well, he hit this ridiculous bailout shot clock buzzer beater, which was nice to see. But he hit a mid-range jumper after that. Uh, he hit a little push shot uh, under control. And if Boucher can play under control with, on top of the fact that he's incredibly athletic and quick for a center, with some actual skills to score, then then you are really looking at a player who can be in your rotation without hurting you. Um, you know, there are going to be mismatches for sure, although that's really up to the, the coach to sort of manage those mismatches by shifting the minutes around when you need to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Boucher was was good, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued, you know, by what he did today. I, I think this is not outside of his capabilities, just like I thought Matt, you know, I don't think this is unreasonable to expect nine points and four assists from Matt on 50% shooting. It's, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to expect, like, close to, you know, ten points and, and two blocks from, from Boucher, uh, especially given the right matchup, and I thought Boucher played well today. Honestly, he could have played a little bit more. It was interesting to me the Raptors closed already with the small ball lineup. They went to a lot more switching uh, that was obviously with Norm in place of, you know, Baines as the center. It, to be honest, um, it's it's a, it's a look, I guess. But, you know, um, I, I was a little surprised to see it in game one. I'll say that. I'll just say that much. Um, I, I think that kind of points to a little bit of desperation. Uh, that, that was something that Raptors all year last year saved until the last moment. I mean, they literally didn't play that lineup until game six against uh, the Celtics, and they, they needed to do that to win. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I it, it, it's going to really tax your main guys to, to go that small. Um, not only are you asking to play a lot of minutes, but you're asking them to do a lot defensively. And whatever, man, it, it, it's just the game. You, you played to win the game, and you need to do the job that's in front of you. If you're losing, you need to play your best lineup, and I don't blame them for that. I don't blame Nick for that at all. I was just a little surprised to see it on day one against a team like the Pelicans, who don't necessarily have the kind of Celtics, uh, you know, roster makeup where they play small. They don't play that small. Brandon Ingram is huge. Zion is huge. It, it, those in huge and different dimensions. You know, Ingram is, you know, Luigi and Zion is more, you know, Mario. And then, of course, they have Steven Adams, who is like, you know, also gigantic. So, you know, going small against them, I don't know if that necessarily does it uh what you necessarily want from your small ball lineup, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see. Obviously, in game one, you know, you got you got a sense of where the coach really thinks of the team and what their strategies are going to be. And yeah, the strategies are just what they are. I mean, people might be disappointed with uh, Malachi Flynn not making the rotation. I, I think it's not entirely surprising considering the fact that you have Kyle and Fred who are going to play all forty eight minutes at point guard. And as much as we like Malachi, he's not better than Fred or Kyle at point guard at this moment. And so he's going to have to play a little bit of two. And Matt's playing well at the two. Uh, Norm has not played well at the two, but Norm is, has a lot more staying power with the team. So it's going to take a while for, for Malachi to crack the rotation. I still have him cracking the rotation because I genuinely believe in the two-way skill set. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. Unless Nick expands the rotation to nine, um, you know, that's... You know, that's going to be hard. And honestly, even if he does expand the rotation to nine, then what you're essentially doing is um, 
A, make your team even smaller by introducing another small guard to the lineup because Matt and, and Norm are also small guards. Uh, but but also B, um, you're, you're limiting the amount of time Kyle or Fed plays, which again, Malachi would need to be as good or close to as effective as those guys to 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 get extended runs. So um, I, I do think by midseason it'll happen. Um, but early on, I'm not totally surprised that he didn't crack the rotation. Terrence Davis didn't crack the rotation. Um, you know, and the other guys, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised they didn't. So uh, in terms of your three stars from this game, for the Raptors, first star, I'm giving that, I'll give it to Pascal, honestly, man. I didn't like the way Kyle played. Um, you know, it was a little bit out of control, a little bit teetering. I, you know, I think Kyle maybe had a bigger impact, but I honestly thought Pascal played a little bit more under control. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 8 of 17 shooting, 3 of 7 for th- for 3. Uh, only 2 free throw attempts for Pascal. I didn't think he was aggressive enough going to the basket, and he had 4 turnovers. Some of those were not great. Um, Raptors as a whole turned over 20 times, so that was a, a global issue. But um, but I, I thought overall Pascal played his, his game well. He played his role well. Um and yeah, I'm you know my only honest my only complaint is just like as the game goes on, especially when the Raptors need a momentum breaking play, they usually always force feed Kyle for it. I would expect Pascal to share in that responsibility. It felt like Pascal's uh, prominence in the game uh, diminished as the game went on, which is not supposed to happen. So I, I want him to do better there. But by all accounts, especially after all the worries and stuff coming into the game, I thought Pascal played. Com- com- perfectly acceptable to good game. 26 and 6. It's, it's really not bad with 50% shooting and three threes. Um, second star, I'll give it to Kyle. 18 points, 10 assists, um, a rebound, and a, a steal. Six turnovers for Kyle. Some of that was just him trying to force the issue. Um, you know, Kyle, I mean, honestly, Kyle played well. First half, he was, he was, he was quite good. Um, you know, I think defensively, he could have been a little bit better. Um, but I think uh, as a whole, the team wasn't that great in terms of trusting each other defensively, especially after the Pelicans made their run. But Kyle was good. Um, he was frustrated. He was mad. Uh, his patience will be tested this year. But, um, yeah, I don't know. He also makes like $33 million. So uh, <laughs> how impatient can you really get? And then in terms of your third start, it's going to Chris Boucher, 12 points, 5 rebounds, 2 blocks, 6 of 8 shooting off the bench in 15 minutes. You know, there's still small things. There will always be, always be things to nitpick with Chris. Um, and it's really just like how you view the glasses, the half full, half empty. With Chris, uh, you know, he's going to make mistakes sometimes, right? Like, uh, I thought Josh Hart was bricks from three all game. And one instance in the fourth quarter where that's trying to make their push and c- come back, uh, the ball rotated to Josh in the corner. Boucher did not close out under control, ran and left his feet. And bit really hard in the pump fake. I didn't think Josh Hart wanted to shoot. Josh then was able to get the driving lane baseline, got, got the N1, and converted. That was a huge momentum backbreaker. Boucher also took an ill advised early shot clock three, which I don't think is really part of what the Raptors want from him this year, uh, especially not in the game where the Raptors are losing. So that was unfortunate. But on the whole, he brought a lot of positives to the game, brought a lot of energy. And if he could play like this for the second unit, uh, I would be thrilled. So. Uh, in terms of your Gerald Henderson award, that's got to go to Eric Bledsoe. He was just making so many threes. Uh, the four threes, again, are just absolute backbreakers. The Raptors designed and schemed specifically to leave him open. So when he does make those shots, it's going to kill you. And it felt like it was killing the Raptors. So that's unfortunate. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Raptors lose game one. It, it is what it is. Raptors got to, you know, 
uh, sort out their Christmas plans. It's super weird to start the season and then for the Raptors to be in Florida all this time, then randomly go back to see their parents and their families, uh, and then come right back to play. Um, Raptors play on Boxing Day 26 against the Spurs, so they have two days to celebrate Christmas, uh, hopefully erase this game, and, and honestly... Um, try to get the win, man. I mean, it's weird being under 500 right off the bat. Uh, it hasn't happened for the Raptors a lot. Uh, the Raptors haven't been under 500 uh, in the first half of any season, dating back to like 2014. So this is strange. Um, but you know, it's 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 a bit of a transition year. I think you know the team has talked about how they need to play a little bit differently. Uh, they're, they're adjusting, and you know, there's there's definitely things to adjust. I don't think this is a super healthy performance. Today, just like I didn't think it was a super healthy performance against the, the Heat, but still a lot of good players on the team. They can kind of figure it out. They got a good coach. Figure it out, guys. In the meantime, you know, um, happy holidays to everyone who's celebrating, uh, you know, whatever there's everybody's celebrating. Um, really appreciate everyone for listening to the show. Rate, review, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, you know, share the, the podcast. You know, tell your Raptor friends about this show. Um, you know. Appreciate everyone watching on YouTube, uh, listening on the podcast feed. And uh, yeah, so the Raptors will be back on Boxing Day. I will be back on Boxing Day. Until then, everyone, happy holidays. Please stay safe. Please um, don't gather and and spread COVID. Take it seriously. And um, yeah, I'll talk to everyone in a, a few days. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.